Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen, and in this episode, I chat to Jim Hayes, a Geneva artist and the principal cornet player with the Cooperation Band. Jim recently released his latest solo album, Johnny Midnight, The Edge of Forever, so chats about the album and the creative process involved in bringing the project together. He also reflects on his musical career to date, from being left a battered old instrument as a youngster to enjoying a lengthy tenure in the top chair at one of Scotland's finest bands. Jim discusses his musical influences and describes just what it felt like to be getting back to banding action. But first, he reflects on life during the Covid pandemic. Yeah, I've been alright. I mean, probably the same as everyone else. I've been trying to play as often as I can, but nowhere near enough really. So I'm finding my top range is pretty much gone. I've just started playing with Wingates last week and uh, it was a bit of a kick in the teeth, I must admit. Nothing beats the feeling of sitting down to a proper band practice and focusing the mind with a gig on the horizon, does it? Your new album is Johnny Midnight, The Edge of Forever. You're accompanied by your band, the cooperation band, conducted by Mike Fowles, and there's a fantastic diverse range of repertoire on there. How delighted are you to finally be able to bring this one to fruition? Uh, this thing was actually recorded um, a year gone in November, and of course it would have been due to being out in January. And it's not, we're normally trying to re- arrange it to be out for the Nationals, you know, the qualifying time. Uh, but of course COVID hit, and um, we had a lot of problems. We already we already had the recording, but it was the the permissions to, for certain tracks, which we'd had verbally. But because of uh, COVID, of course, everybody was working from home. We just we just couldn't get in touch with anybody to get the the written permissions. Um, and of course, you can't release the the album without that. You know, that that's literally what we've been waiting for all this time because the recording was actually done a year and a half ago. That was it. It was just all a red tape, really. How did you come to? choose the music that features on the album because it features everything from Amazing Grace to The Impossible Dream and even Brahms' Hungarian Dance Number no. 5. Well, I tend to let people know. We have a set of arrangers anyway. If you look at all four albums, you'll see like a, a crux of about three or four arrangers that we use. What I tend to do is sort of leak out that I'm going to be doing a CD and allow anybody and anybody to send what they have. And then what we do is um, at the co-op, we'll arrange for Mike to come up and together we'll go we'll just literally blast through them you know um top to toe and and go through the lot i mean i think we must have had upwards of about 70 75 tracks for this one that we went through and some will will actually be um on the next one because we can only record around about an hour um, because I do everything in, in two days. It's all recorded over two days and the lip on 53 now, so the lip doesn't last as long as, <laughs> as it used to. Among the composers to feature on the album is Liz Lane in her work. Yeah. Stars are not too far. How did you enjoy working with Liz on the project? Oh, fantastic. I mean, I can't say enough good things about Liz. I don't know if you know her. She worked, we first worked together on the last album, actually, Angels Will Fall, and she wrote a piece for me on that. The way she writes, so she'll send us, me the solo copy, and you look at her and you think, well, yeah, that, that looks fine. But it's not until you add the band to it. And she writes the most sublime, not, not just the tune, but the whole, but how you interact with the band, and it makes it very easy to interact with the band because her pieces are quite long, and you find, um, rather than like a standout solo where I'm playing just the tune all the time, you find I'm playing some of the background stuff as well, and um, 
you know, the bandle table that you're in. It's, the way she weaves it together is just, it, it's, I would say, new and old mixed together because they can be like old tunes, but she, the way she does them is just, um, you can tell she's not, she's from outside the brass bands, really, the way she writes. And um, and I love them. And, and the last two, like I said, the last, the last album and this one, um, certainly the band loved her two pieces. They, they loved playing them and they, they just like listening to them. Yes, there's a wonderful, fresh musical perspective, really, to Lizzie's music. And she comes along to the recordings as well, you know, flies up and, uh, and, and she, she, you know, she puts everything right when uh, stops us every five seconds, we want this out in here and take it away there. Is that a part of the process you particularly enjoy, getting to work quite closely with some of the composers or arrangers? Yes, it is. So one of them um, is actually Chris Gorman. I think he did about two or three on this one, he did a few on the last one. Chris only lives about two miles away from where I when I where I actually live. Quite often he'll bash something out, and um, Chris Chris is one of these guys. He's going to do an arrangement, and that's going to do it on Monday, and he literally stay up all night and it'll be ready for Tuesday morning. You know, he's one of these guys. He's like uh, he's retired, so he's got a little bit of time on his hands. And we'll go around to his. Uh, he's got like a little studio in the house, and then and he'll play certain. And I'll have ideas, but because obviously I know the strengths of my band. And so we'll add stuff to, we'll just swap stuff about and uh, until we get it um, as near as damage. That comes in handy. Jim, this is your fourth solo album. I take it the recording process is something that you particularly enjoy. What makes you think that? <laughs> you keep, you <laughs> keep going back. Yeah, well, that's, that's probably a financial thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, I enjoy working with World of Sound a lot because uh, Adam Goldsmith is the best guy around for, for this type of thing. I mean, and, and Mike Fells as well, because Mike, Mike's just a, a human uh, beat machine, you know, so, so we record everything three times for editing purposes. And uh, Mike is a, an editor's dream because every edit we do, every take we do, is spot on on that, on that beat. Every, every, so the, we haven't got all the speeds or anything. Mike is... is Bob on all the time, you know. And the process, so we record everything three times, so we, we, we tend to record um, the heavy stuff. Actually, with my album, everything's heavy. So we say we, anything screaming, we do, we tend to do on the Saturday. And then, um, well, we, you know, the lesser stuff we'll do on the, on the Sunday when it's a bit more, a bit tired, you know. So you record with Mike and you record with the Cooperation Band. It's obviously your own band. Does that familiarity help make the process easier, particularly, as you say, when you're pressed for time, you've got a weekend in which to work and that's it? We can rehearse before Mike even gets there. So we, we'll bang out um, a, few, a couple of weeks before. It is just a couple of weeks before, really. Um, like I say, we'll, we'll have all these solos lined up. We'll um, blast through. And then, of course, we've got a couple of weeks then with the band, you know, my own rehearsals uh, twice a week where we can have a look more in depth at, at the pieces that we're definitely going to, you know, the, the final 16. Uh, so that comes in handy where if I did it with another band, obviously it would, it would be a case of just turn up and, and hope for the best, you know. Now, an important question. Who is this character, Johnny Midnight? Or where does Jim Hayes end and where does Johnny Midnight begin? Jim Hayes doesn't really think of doing it anymore, I don't think. It's, 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 all, it's all pretty much Johnny Midnight. So it was a, it was a standing joke for years because what, what I did was, Obviously, everybody asked me this question. Everybody asked me. And I never, ever told anybody, really. I kept it quiet for years. And there was a reason for that, because I used to enjoy hearing all the stories that people came up with. There was some band I was playing with who were convinced I'd been a male stripper, and that was my stripper name. Um, <laughs> what else? You wouldn't believe some of the stories. <laughs> and so I was quite enjoying it for a good few years, actually. But um, I did tell somebody the real story, um, 
on the left album, I think it was. So me and my friend Gary Reid, uh, Gary plays for, for Black Dyke, trombone on Black Dyke. And of course, we've been best friends for years. And we were on one drunken night, I think, in Birmingham or London, after a contest, the first CD was looming. And we just came up with this character, Johnny Midnight, and uh, it wouldn't be fun if we did this and played it as if it was going to be like a, a film. And, uh, and of course, he started off, if you look at the first album, he was Johnny, Johnny Midnight supposed to be a, a mafia-type character. And it was when it was we released it, and I can't remember why, but they sort of your your guys and some other guys and the media guys grabbed and, and sort of made this got the wrong end of the stick and called them the secret agent. So we just ran with that, really. You know, he became by the second album he was working for MI6. <laughs> <laughs> the first one he was a wise guy. <laughs> well, that brings us yeah. Jim to your piece of the podcast, which this week comes from your new album. So tell me then a little bit about this particular piece. So um, The Impossible Dream. So it was written quite a while ago and uh, like I say, recorded about a year and a half ago. But it was used in the Butlins contest uh, for Desford and the Desford stock player, Kevin Crockford. Yeah. He actually played it on the contest and won with it. He, he played it with Desford and won with it. So that's it. I mean, so it's the, it's the original thing where it's based on um, the Voxiv arrangement. Evocative is an acapella group in um, Florida. And uh, Mike Fowles actually found a recording of them singing it. So this we based the whole thing on the Evocative arrangement. Well, let's have a listen to cornet soloist Jimmy Hayes, accompanied by the cooperation band, performing The Impossible Dream.
The sound of cornet soloist Jimmy Hayes accompanied by the Cooperation Band performing The Impossible Dream. That comes from Jimmy's new album Johnny Midnight, The Edge of Forever. Jimmy, let's turn back the clock now a little bit. Tell me how it all began for you, your cornet playing origin story. Well, when I was um, 10 years old, um, uh, I was left a battered old um, trumpet from think either the first or second world war by my great great granddad and um i don't think it was even in the right key to be honest and i took it to the um my mom took me to a local brass band uh who fitted me out with a little cornet the, the principal cornet of that band was a, a guy called jimmy kelly who unfortunately only died a couple of weeks back and uh, played at his funeral on friday but he took me under his wing uh, as he did with a lot of kids and um and that was it and by the time i was 13, I was principal corner of that band and I've been principal corner ever since. So this is my 40th year. You must be due some sort of medal by that point, but which bands were you playing with in those early years? Well, where I live, it's in the Durham area, it's all colliery bands. And to be honest, that was a great upbringing because we were out marching every week. And I mean, every week, there was always somewhere to march. So that was like where I think when I really got the the blowing from that's where the, the stamina i think came from was was the early the marching and stuff like that of course a lot of bands tended to be you know lacking in players so it was like sometimes i was having to leave a very small corner section and stuff so you, you tend to play a louder anyway and then from there we went to i went to the um it was the british steel teesside band up in uh, cleveland so the as what happens when these things happen they sort of pick the best players from all around the area and we all we all ended up in the same band at the same time and had a bit of a purple patch there. And it was, uh, that's where I met Gary Reid, actually, you know, another great players there. And, and that was great. And from there, I went to Yorkshire Area Champions, which was Carlton, Maine. And I was there for, I think I was there about six years, you know, Carlton, Maine. It's a different way of playing, totally different to what it is down here. You know, it's more lyrical, everything's long. And then from there, it was straight to um, what was then CWS. In Scotland, which is the band I'm, I'm still with now. Actually, I, had, I had a brief hiatus when the band lost its sponsorship about 10 years ago, something like that. And I played with a local band here called Reg Vardy. So again, they're just literally two or three miles from where I live. Uh, and then when the band got the sponsorship back, um, about a year later after that, I, I toddled on back up to Scotland and I've been there ever since. So in those years where you were developing, Jimmy, and heading to some of those different bands, which cornet players were you looking up to? Who provided a source of inspiration to you as a player? I'll be honest with you, Mark, none, really. Um, I've always been more interested in singers. I would say the, more, the, the biggest inspiration on my style of playing that I play and try and emulate would be like the Streisand, Bassey, people like that. Um, I would listen more... If, uh, I'll be honest, I don't really listen to brass band music, which was another reason I started bringing the CDs out, because my CDs are open to people outside of brass bands. You know, the, the idea is you don't have to be in a brass band to enjoy them. When I was younger, probably, I think the guy that turned my head the most would have been Alan Morrison, who I mentioned in the first album. I, um, he, he was an influence on me as a corner player, because I remember listening to him play um, at a contest. He played... Um, the Harry James Trumpet Concerto, and um, he just he just made it possible for the likes of us to go and say, oh, you, you know, you can play trumpet solos on the cornet, and you can make it sound like a trumpet. 
And so that, that was because I remember, you know, I was the same as everybody else. I would play as a kid, stand up and play Carnival of Venice and you get your little clap at the end of it. And But really people didn't know how much work you put into that. But was, and, then, and then I remember standing up one time and just played Georgia on my mind and it brought the house down. Yeah. And so that, that changed my whole uh, perspective. I went sort of more to the entertainment side than, uh, than the, you know, the da 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 as I call them. I mean, it seemed to be everybody was doing that. So I thought, well, I would take a different, fresher approach. Yeah. You've had this lengthy association with Co-op or CWS Glasgow, CWS, barring that short spell away that you mentioned. That's obviously involved a fair bit of travelling because you are based in England. What is it that keeps bringing you back and wanting to work with that group of people? Well, I mean, a lot, a lot of it is um, due to time restrictions as well, because I, I run a business here. Um, you know, I, I do I do flit around with bands, and you, you, the, your big bands and stuff like that, but I've never really been able to join them because um, I, can't, I, I work with most weekends or I'm away weekends, and, um, and the Cedar West Band uh, uh, don't do that many concerts. So a lot of it was to do with that, as it, as it has been with every band I've been in, really. I mean, I can't even play over Christmas. I've, I've, you know, November to February, I don't play at all. So I fit in with what they do and they fit in with what I do. Uh, I've got some fantastic friends in there. Who's, I mean, you and you and sat next to me for the full 15 years. Keith runs the band. and it, So we've been quite a tight-knit group. And I, I would, it would break my heart to go to another band now, especially this late in life. By the time you fit in and stuff like that, I just, I just enjoy it. And, it. and it works for me and it works for them. As you look back across your time so far with co-op and with other bands in which you've played down the years are you able to pick out any musical highlights any moments which still are etched in your memory today fraternity um we did that a couple of years back and i really really enjoyed that there was a piece i did in the europeans for brig house last year the year the year before last and i can't remember the name but i think it was dear catherine or something like that we played it in Switzerland, and that was a really, really demanding piece. And um, Dave King got really every ounce of musicality out of the band. But unfortunately, we were drawn first. <laughs> That's what we doing. We got the kiss of death. It was uh, Dave's reading of it was absolutely immense. I have that bad a memory. You know, I, I can't remember where I played last week sometimes. So, uh, you know, there's probably lots of other stuff I've played that I really enjoyed as well. But I just, you know, just... Like there's been a time I'll say to you and everybody gets we get some huge test piece out and I'll say, Well, I've never seen this before. He says, Jim, it's that's your part. He says it's written on there, Jim. <laughs> you played it before. <laughs> we played in it, we played in some country or whatever, and I'll say, Well, I've never been here before. And he says, Well, we have you been here with me, you know. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's what he's good at. He's fine, he's brilliant at that. You mentioned David King a moment ago. Along the way, you have had the opportunity to work with such a wide variety of conductors. Are there any who really stand out as having been a major influence on you down the years? Yeah, I mean, God, there's a few. Dave King is just, in you know, all around, he's, he's just fantastic at whatever he does. You know, he's got music just coming out of him. Nick Childs was always brilliant for... He'd be so well rehearsed by the time you got on that stage, you just didn't have a nerve in your body. You just knew it was going to go absolutely clockwork. Uh, Mike Fells is very similar. Alan Ramsey, I really enjoyed um, a long relationship with Alan before he moved to Florida, well, New York, then Florida. I met him, I live in New York actually last uh, year before last. And he's a big miss, definitely a big miss to the band. Alan Whittington, he was great. And, and, you know, I've played with so many top guys. It's, 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 and, and with other bands as well, when I'm guesting to other bands, it's, the list endless, and that's some fantastic people, conductor-wise. 
What's the dynamic like when you come back up? I mean, we're living in strange times, of course, but in normal times, you come back up to work with the band on a, a project, Jimmy, but you might not necessarily get to see them every single week if travelling or business or, or whatever gets in the way. Is it just a case you get back, slot right back in there, maybe you and looking after things in the meantime? Well, you mentioned you and there. I mean, um, <clears throat> to be honest... Ewan doesn't get mentioned enough. A bumper up, bumper up. If you if you if you know what I mean. Roger Webster said exactly the same about me. So I, I would turn up after missing God knows how long, he, because he knows how I play and I know how he plays. It would all be penciled in before he even arrived. So I would it, it would literally Jim play here, Jim play that. I'll do this, I'll do that, and um, and that's how we've always done it really. So it's, it's teamwork um, is massive. Uh, particularly with the test pieces that come out nowadays. He's a great man manager, is, is Ewan, and he's he's looked after me from day one till now. He's still doing it. <laughs> he's still got the job. Yeah, really interesting to hear about that relationship and just how important it is. Well, Jim, as we approach the final moments of our, our chat here today, how are you feeling about these weeks and months ahead? We've had this enforced break from in-person banding activities, but things have hopefully taken a step forward now. How are you looking forward to the coming months? I am uh, really looking forward to uh, the Open and the, well, if the Open goes ahead, that is, and the um, and the Nationals. That's the next two things we've got lined up with the band. The main thing is, I think, just to have, uh, you know, something to aim for, um, because you find when you're sitting in the kitchen playing day in, day out, and, to, you know, to yourself, you tend to play the same dynamic. You've got nothing really to, to aim for, even though I've got I've got the dots here for the new test people. You know, I get I get bored playing the same stuff over and over again. Yeah, I'm really looking forward just to just to ignite the passion again. You know, which I think will happen once I get back up there. And I've had a bit of it with the wind gets to being kind enough to let me play with them the next the last couple of weeks. And and you don't realise how far out of practice you're on until you actually sit in with the band because they've been rehearsing for a few weeks. And I thought, well, I'm in practice, I'll sit, I'll be fine, but I'll tell you what, after an hour. Just finally, Jimmy, you've enjoyed a great deal of success with your playing and you've made several solo recordings as we've chatted about already. So what's next for you? What is that next project in the diary? Well, the next project... Well, obviously, get back to the band, but um, we're certainly going to be bringing at least another two or three Johnny Midnight um, based CDs out. We've already started listing stuff, uh, Mike and I, uh, that we either need arranging or that's already done, uh, because we tend to use at least 90, 95% of everything I do on the CDs will be brand new arrangements, new stuff. So um, it'll be a case of um, meeting up with new composers, arrangers, and getting that into place because that it does take a while. Probably, probably the longest thing, longest process of the whole thing is getting the uh, the music together. And uh, you know, after that, it takes a few months tweaking it. And uh, the recording bit is two days, really. You know, you can do it all two days. Yeah. So that's the next. That's the that will be the next big thing for me, other than the, the contesting with my own band. That's it for this episode of BB On The Record. Thanks to Jim Hayes and thank you to you for listening. Johnny Midnight, The Edge of Forever, featuring Jim Hayes with the cooperation band and conductor Mike Fowles is out now. You can buy the album at personalisedgiftsrus.com. That's with the letter R, personalisedgiftsrus.com. 
Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at britishbandsman.com. Meanwhile, you can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. For the latest news, interviews and masterclasses from the stars, make sure you don't miss out. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Or just ask your smart speaker to play the BB On The Record podcast. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.